Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am here with a really interesting um, gentleman here that has a really great perspective, not just as of recently, everyone's talking AI and chat GPT and those things, but I think it's also, we we're just talking a little bit before we hit record, just academics in general and, and, and rethinking lots of stuff. And, and, and this, this voice that we're going to bring to the show today is going to bring, I think, a really awesome and unique twist that we don't always think about, even though it probably is playing a pretty important role in our lives every single day if we're having any sort of dialogue with any other human or I guess maybe not even human I have a I have an eight-month-old lab puppy so maybe there is there, there's a lot of uh, what he does um, and there's some non, non-verbal communication but I am here today um, with Stefan Bouchard did I say that correct did I get yes, it okay yes, sweet yes. all right and you can Repronounce it if I goofed that up. Yep. Um, and we've connected through through LinkedIn through some yep. stuff here, and I'm really excited to have you on the show here today. Thank so, you. as we begin here, let's just start off with who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you got going on? So my name, you know, as you pronounce correctly, my name is <laughs> Stefan Bouchard, and uh, I've spent most of my uh, life uh, in academic speech and debate, starting back in 1984. Uh, when we had a debate a debate in our social studies class of the U.S. versus Russia. And of course, that's all come full circle, but you had to pick a side. Fortunately, I got the United States. And I say fortunately because, you know, in 1984, all we really had was encyclopedias. And, you know, those had a little, the U.S. encyclopedias had a little bit of a pro-U.S. bias. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we're, we can see that in many discussions that we're having today. And I kind of got hooked on debate. I, I debated in high school. Um, I debated in college. I, I coached debate as a graduate student. I, um, I became a high school debate coach. I coached college debate for a long time. I've I even coached elementary school debate. I've coached debate in the United States. I've coached debate abroad. Um, I've helped develop debate programs. So that's, uh, and I'm currently uh, coaching a debate team in New York and uh, co-directing the New York City uh, Urban Debate League, as well as continuing to develop some programs abroad. So my whole life has really been about debate and about arguments, and about ideas, and about people. Uh, because obviously, <laughs> the arguments are useless without the people. And I think, you know, for a, a number of reasons, I kind of got hooked on this topic. Um, that really, really related to, really related to debate into what I do. And part of it, I think I just spent so much time playing with ideas, it was a little bit easy for me to kind of dive in and just kind of move through all this stuff and think through it. Some of it was not foreign, some of it was like related to a lot of a lot of what I was already doing. Yeah. So as you 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 talked about this a little bit in terms of your origin story, in terms of your your love for debate and all the stuff that you've done, and you know as you think about the work you're doing now or how you got to this point, you know it's seems straightforward, but I think there's but someone who's living and breathing it all the time you know why why is this so important not just to you but to to everyone to understand the importance of a i'm gonna call it a proper debate i think we we don't have a lot of that we have a lot of i mean especially on social media there's we think there's debate but they're not it's very much like here's my thoughts and i'm not here i'm, I'm not sharing with 
the idea to maybe learn something. I'm here to, you know, plant my flag and be strong and, and, you know, screw what everybody else is thinking. And so why is this so important to you and the work that you do and working with kids and all your coaching, you know, and I mean, I'll say this day and age, it's always been, been important, but I think now more so than ever. I, th I think conceptually, like there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? There's one is the, the how the technology kind of impacts, like how we prepare for debates, like kind of our, I guess my call our knowledge production and our presentation. And then the second thing is kind of debating and discussing uh, the issues, you know, at large. The reason one, the main reason I, I really kind of started on this is actually I was waiting to work with a few kids and I, I saw an article in the New York Post about this new, like, quote unquote, search engine, right? And there's, all these questions about whether or not we, we should use that metaphor. And I tried it and I just I just did something I would like do in high school, like when I was a debater. Oh, please tell me like 10 reasons socialism is bad. And it just spit out like 10 <laughs> reasons. When I looked at those reasons, I was like, hey, like, you know, these are kind of like the main objections like people make to socialism. So I kind of thought like right away, wow, this is really going to impact how what I what I teach students, because primarily what I teach students, I mean, there's a lot of different things, right? But at its core, you're teaching students like how to write a speech, how to organize their ideas. And second, you're teaching them like how to do research and to find materials. And in debate, that research is usually represented as a quote or sometimes a paraphrased reference, but usually a quote. So, hey, I'm looking at a tool that can basically generate a pretty good speech. And, you know, even at that time, th this was back in like late December, right? We just had like chat GP 3.5. Like this could generate a pretty good speech. This can't get a, a generated speech as good as like an accomplished debater, but you know, I also work with some fifth and sixth graders. What it was already there was a, like a lot better than what they can do, right? So I'm like, okay, this can just generate a product. And then I just kind of started thinking, like, well, it's probably going to be able to like find the quotes too eventually. I didn't, I didn't really start having those thoughts till January, but I was like, hey, this can like produce a product that. I, I teach kids how to produce, right? So, and then of course, you know, you saw everything about plagiarism, but you know, we we could talk about it a little bit more like another time. But I kind of thought, okay, well, one of the core products it can already produce. And then I thought, well, you know, there's more to debate than the first speech, there's the rebuttal. Well, the more I learned about the technology, it's like, well, it can also create the rebuttal. It can, it, and we could talk about that more, but a little later, it could synthesize, it can do a lot of what's in debate. And I didn't really have any a lot of thoughts about what that meant. But to me, that meant this is going to have a dramatic impact. And then even though I don't still teach school anymore, you know, I, I taught some college classes. I taught some like high school classes. I, I've been to school. Um, I know what kind of assignments teachers give. They give you a lot of papers and essays and those kind of things. And I'm like, wow, this can do most of the things that teachers assign. Right. right. So I started realizing that this was going to have an immediate and a dramatic impact on education, even just with what was available at that time. And then the second thing, you know, what you were referencing is the debating, you know, we, we often want to uh, just convince somebody like you say, Aaron, I, I really want to come on Aaron's show because I saw him post this thing on LinkedIn and I really just really want to try to <laughs> convince him otherwise. That usually doesn't work that well. It works a little bit, right? You do sway the middle like here and then. But I find over time people view debate as very combative, but it's a really way to get people thinking about something they might otherwise not agree with. Um, when Trump was first elected, I actually wrote an editorial in Education Week, just kind of using debate like, OK, we, we're radically opposed here. We have very strong, different opinions about all these things are some of these issues. If we debated them, maybe, you know, at the time, you know, big trade, you know, should we get rid of trade? Right. Should we protect our industries? Well, in debate, uh, I've debated a lot of free trade, good, free trade, bad globalization. We've had all these other topics. There's arguments on both sides. Let's just think these through. Let's not align them with our politicians that we love or hate. 
right? Let's just kind of take and look at the argument. So, and, but to do that, you need to have a process, right? Like <laughs> everyone needs to have approximately the same amount of time to prepare, to speak, like, you know, to ask questions. It, it needs to be a fair process. I mean, in the presidential debates, we break this down almost to the point of absurdity. Well, you're, you know, your platform needs to be of like an inch higher. So we're right. on the same height. We try to make everything fair, but you know, I think there's a lot of issues here to kind of debate and discuss with students as a way to build awareness. Uh, because it's the one thing I said for the show, this affects everybody. This affects everybody. This, you know, a lot of people, of course, it makes sense, are turning to education technology specialists, which they should. They understand education technology, right? But like this affects everybody, right? This affects kids, this affects adults, this affects their careers, this affects their jobs, this affects for teachers, how they relate to students, like you know, coaches myself, like how we relate to students, how we relate to one another. We're all going to experience points of frustration, anger, right? This affects everybody. And people can't just come in, oh, well, just use this app. It'll all be fine. Right. You know, this is, you know, I, I'm, the, I'm the technology specialist. I evaluated actually all 1,200 of the education apps on artificial intelligence <laughs> that have been released in the, in the last 30 days. And if we just use this one, then all our students are going to, you know, achieve proficiency on their English and math exams. And none of us are going to get angry with one another. That, that's not going to work, right? We need we need people to chime in to say maybe this one is GDPR compliant. You know, <laughs> this one is not. These are some of the ones I've looked at. Um, but I think everybody needs to be involved in these conversations. And the more I've studied this, the more I've worked on the book, um, the more I've been talking to people about that, like, it's just every everybody needs to get involved. If you if you don't get involved, you just say, "Well, hey, at our school, we're not going to use this." Then it's going to use you, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so true. those are kind of my overarching, you know, reasons like why, um, you know, they just hit me so much. Like how how big of an impact is? And I I don't know. I hate to say it, but I'm like I've, I've been right about this. I was right about this. <laughs> this is going to have a a big impact, you know. And you know, and and people, there's a there's a there's a really big knowledge gap. You know, people talk about one thing I've been people talking about is the acceleration. Oh, it's accelerating so fast. Like, how are we going to control it? How are we going to control these damages? It's accelerating so fast. People can't even learn about it. Right. 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 There's, you know, and even the basics, like I was, you know, of all the stuff that's gone on, I thought if people just knew basically how an LLM worked, like, <laughs> it predicts words. I mean, there was an article published yesterday, like by a pretty qualified and on paper qualified individual. This person has an MD and a JD. And it was published by a pretty reputable, like we'll call it a think tank. And the whole article was about like why it can't produce accurate bibliographies. And I was, and this person was just exasperated that it couldn't do this and kind of suggested why are, why is anybody using this thing? It's like, well, it you should never use it for that purpose. Right. Right. And, and we all know, well, not all of us obviously know that. I shouldn't be doing surgery. I shouldn't be representing you in court and you shouldn't be using an LLM to produce a bibliography. In fact, before there were even artificial, like these LLMs, all these things, there were, there are a lot of great places you could do bibliographic research, like in Google books and Google scholar, <laughs> like in <the> library. <laughs> so I, I just think it, you know, in some ways too, like there's gotta be a way to, I, I don't, I, I don't want to decelerate. Like I'm not on that side of the debate, but there's gotta be a way to take what what's learned and say like these are the essential things that you need to know yeah. um because you know that's one thing we struggle with the book like well how is it going to keep current you know we have a, a couple small ways to manage that but you know the book's been out a few weeks now and a lot of the core things we've written in there that they haven't changed 
Yeah. Like we explain what an LLM is, like how it works, kind of basically what the types of things it's used for type. That hasn't changed, right? Um, the uh, how these technologies work have basically not changed. How how you might have to adjust your um, assessments, that has not changed. Um, how this could be used in special education, elementary education, that has not changed. So if we understand kind of the basic concepts and kind of apply them, there are some things that will change it at kind of the micro level, but not there's not as much change at the macro level. But I, I, feel, I feel that a lot of people... I just wish like every we could make a flyer that says just if you just if you don't want to learn anything else, learn these 10 things. Yeah. It, and I don't know exactly what 10 they are, but how an LLM works would I think be number one for me. Yeah, absolutely. So you've alluded to the book here and it's it's one that I mean, it's a it's it's a monstrosity of a book, right? I mean, it's coming in, <laughs> you know, almost a, a thousand pages. And uh for those listening, the 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 title of the book is Chad GPT Navigating the Impact of Generative AI Technologies on Educational Theory and Practice. And with the and then educators subtitle discuss Chad GPT and other artificial intelligence tools. And so talk to me a little bit about how this came to be with you. I mean, like it's you're you're working in this field of debate and you know we've got artificial intelligence and chat gpt and we know that it's impacting everyone not just education it's 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 disrupting every industry sector and lots of them are excited and embracing it you know education is always education i think we're at a at a at a, a crux i do feel where people if they are aware realize like we can't just hold off forever because this is something that's really could shake the pillars. And then there's also a still a mass majority of people in the education system that don't even know these things are even happening. So there's that. And then you've been working to bring this book to fruition, which has lots of voices, lots of different topics and ideas, some that you've already talked about. How did that 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 come to be? Um, because I feel like it's like what I what I like from like your entry um is like it's not it's um trying to think how i can phrase this because i don't want it to come across offensive like some like 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 tech evangelist right Right. that's you know and i don't mean that in in, in a bad way i would just say like it's 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 coming at it from a different angle and a different approach and so that part really intrigues me with that work in terms of how you put this together or 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 the desire and, and that sort of thing well, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you for that. So the the way it came about is kind of interesting, you know. Um, you know, it's been involved in debate a long time, and uh, when the pandemic hit years ago, every, everyone moved online. And one of my former students, um, he had developed a, a classroom architecture in Zoom to support a, a private school he was working with, and he showed it to me, and I said, "Oh my God!" I said, "We can use this to run debate tournaments." Now, obviously, we can get in a Zoom room, but a, a tournament maybe has like a thousand students, so you need some way to organize it. But anyhow, he kind of built this embedded platform. Uh, he's a former student of mine who worked. We had another online tournament uh, in our debate league uh, in, in, in uh, I guess it was early January, uh, which we had planned. Most of our tournaments are live, but we play, had planned to have that online um, just, you know, to keep the kids current with the technology. And, you know, we thought, well, gee, maybe we'll have a bad winter day. But anyhow, to make a long story short, he was kind of helping run that tournament on, on the tech side. And we were chatting about ChatGPT. Um, and, you know, he said he had started using it, you know, in his own work, he, he mostly does computer type work. And we were talking about it. And I said, you know what, a lot of people really don't know about this, we need to like organize like a webinar, 
So I reached out to a few people. I had just shown it to my sister, who's an elementary education professor. She used to be a first grade teacher. And right on the phone, um, I said, you know, she didn't really understand. I said, well, tell me, tell me a, a lesson a first grade teacher teaches. I had no idea. I haven't been first grade a long time. She said, well, they need to learn about bowels. So I had it write a lesson about bowels and I shared it with her. And she's like, oh, my God. And then, uh, you know, she found this one little thing that was wrong. She's like, well, you wouldn't really kind of teach that vowel sound that way. I said, well, kind of that's great because now you have a draft, which is how people use. You could tweak it. I said, or you could produce 20 of these and them out to your students and see if they can find any errors. Right. So we got that involved. She had a friend who was a special um, education teacher who I know. So then we had special education. A friend of mine who's a university professor, I talked to them about this technology in early January, he ended up teaching a senior seminar. Uh, to replace a colleague. And he made this this whole thing about a seminar. Um, I had connected, I posted something on Facebook, a friend of mine who's a partner in a law firm, he had saw it, he was excited. He said, I've been using this kind of stuff in my legal practice for, for years, not this exact one, but I canceled all my paid subscriptions. Now I'm using ChatGPT. He says, I'm an appellate lawyer. I primarily write. So this, this is saving me like tons of time. So I'm like, hey, and you know, that's then too, all the debate started about banning it. And I'm thinking, well, if lawyers can use this in a federal appellate work, it's probably like at least good enough for students to start with in the seventh grade, right? Yeah. Kind of, I, I thought, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's good enough for that. So I kind of gathered these people and we organized this webinar. It took us about 10 days to gather the people, I mean, the, the presenters, right? And come, come up with a structure. Um, we advertised it for three days. We had 200 people register, 100 people showed up. It ended up lasting two and a half hours. And even by the end of two and a half hours, there were 50 people still there. So I thought, okay. So then we thought, well, we should write some kind of a book. You know, we should, you know, just, just the people who did the webinar. Let's take our ideas. There's demand for this. Let's just translate it into the book. So we kind of we kind of started with that. And then, you know, I called a couple of publishers and they're like, believe it or not, I called a publisher. They didn't even know what Chat GPT was. This was like <laughs> this was like January 20th. I just said, just just forget it. I said, well, we're just gonna publish this book on Kindle and then we'll see about getting a regular publisher. We need to get this out. And then it grew. I started connecting with other people. You you said you met on LinkedIn. I met some other wonderful people uh here on LinkedIn, saw some of the work they were doing. Sometimes I, you know, see, okay, well, this idea would fit this way in the book. Like some people, they just completely blew me off. They're like, who is this guy? They look at my profile. I'd say, I'd send him a message. They look at my profile. They they just take off, you know? Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, right. Cause they're like, what, what does this guy know? Like, he's not an ed tech guy. Like how, how could he know about, how could he know how an LLM works? Right. So, so, you know, some people blew me off. That was fine. There was one guy, he totally blew me off. And then after the webinar, he reconnected. He said, Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I, I really could have, that, that we're done. We're moving on. But, um, you know, so that's kind of how it became the book. Other people got involved. Of course, it grew. You know, people did start to figure out by February, oh, wow, this is kind of a big deal. Um, so maybe, I, you know, everyone started to have their take on it, right? Like, I got to yeah. have a take. So we integrated the book. Um, we got it out. It came up all these ideas, but we tried to organize it into themes. Like, hey, how how does the technology work? Prompts. This is, you know, then there's like, hey, this is why you should include it in your school, because I mean, that's still like actually a debate, believe it or not. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. So here, let's take some of the traditional things that schools for, like you mentioned in our pre-discussion, right? Like, oh, OK, we want kids to you know, become employable. We want kids to be able to participate in civic life. We want kids to be able to develop as as people. So there are chapters organized around that. Then we start with first grade. We have first grade, special ed, high school, college, you know, college writing. That's been big impacted. I met somebody early on. My sister and her friend actually got me in this group. There is a group uh, started by Dr. Laura Duman, who's a writing professor, a Facebook group of co originally just started writing professors. Now it's a lot of people who deal with writing and they let me in. 
Um, but there's over 2,000 people in there. And you saw the whole debate, right? Some people are like, oh, my God, the world's ending. Other people are like, no, we got to use this technology. Other people, it's a little bit of back and forth. You know, I, I had some private chats with some people who thought the the world was going to end, you know, right, yeah. it may, but not, not from, not, not from plagiarism. The world, yeah, plagiarism will not kill the world. <laughs> I, I don't think in, in history, when we, you know, the books are written about this era, I don't think plagiarism is going to emerge as the theme. I don't think so um, either. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, we just got the book, we got it together. And, and I had the one thing with debate, I've always really been involved in like, I, I've been in like since 84. Right. And I've researched a lot of arguments and I do always do a ton of research on the topic, sometimes too much because my students are just like, this, or, you're making this too complicated, right? So sometimes I do too much, but I've always done a lot of research. So a lot of the ideas in the book, like I had dealt with in other ways, because one, one of the authors even noted, you know, I was talking to her about her chapter. She's, I, I said, well, hey, I said, I'm late. I'm, I'm working with this other author on, you know, like DEI, right? And she's like, how do you just move from like, you know, one like whole like thing of one chapter to one thing or another. I said, well, one of the I said, I'm not really a specialist in any of these things, but I love I know like kind of the basics of all of them. And I tried to get everybody to kind of proceed through a, hey, what are the challenges that face in my field? Like, what are the challenges in first grade? Well, challenge my sister, big challenge in first grade is you have to make all these materials. It all has to be hands on. Well, OK, well, let's talk about even what are the challenges in special education. Well, you know, obviously differentiation is important at every level, but it's really important in special education. So. This Dr. Susan Johnson and Mercier's one thing she did in the uh, thing was take Charlotte's Web and adjust the reading to a student with an approximate 50 IQ level, which just kind of blew my mind. Right. So it's yeah. like, OK, there's that problem there. You know, in science, like what are the problems in writing? Like what problems are you facing? I talked about debate. Uh, I wrote the chapter actually with the debater, a high school debater. What are the problems that debate experiences? We talked about, gee, all this knowledge production, evidence production, all this time. Right. They struggled to get coaching and ended up with bots. How could this contribute to this solution? And it didn't have to be techno solutionism. We talk about a lot of the problems it creates. The DI chapter is kind of both ways. Here's some ways you could use it, you know, to promote diversity, equity, inclusion. Here's some ways it's going to harm it. You know, we have a chapter, just a meta issue. Gee, how, how could this end of the world? But let's contextualize it a little bit, right? Like we know LLMs use a lot of energy, but we also know the kind of artificial intelligence uh, could probably do a lot to improve energy efficiency. Um, so it, it's not, it, it's not like, so, so there, there's a little bit of that. So there, I, I think what kind of, I kind of brought to the table for this part of the, for this book was like, I had just over the last 35, almost 40 years, just kind of played with so many different ideas and helping students organize ideas. And that's what brought this together. And I am kind of proud of the fact, I'm not kind of, I'm very proud of the fact that it isn't like a book written by education technology experts. It sounds like I don't like them. I actually think they're great. But I wouldn't, I, I think a book about entirely written by 20 different people in educational technology leads to a different place than a book about written by 20 different people, some of which are maybe high school teachers, retired instructional superintendents. That's one of our uh, editors, someone who's really just working on the technology side, universities, professors, like a generalist, right? Like. That produces a theme. Now, that's not to say a book written by 20 ed tech specialists wouldn't also be great, but it's going to it's going to lead things in a different direction. And I don't I don't know that everyone thinks that way. Right. Like yeah. when, when you have different types of people writing books or sharing ideas to bring. I think everyone gets oh Well, now, you know, especially in the world of DI, well, everybody comes with like their perspective and their life experiences. Well, you know, if you have a whole book written about this by, I'll just say, school administrators, too, that's going to bring a different perspective. Imagine if we, we had a book written by, like, you know, 
school attorneys about like this, right? I mean, that would definitely produce a different perspective. So, right? so I like that we've kind of gathered, gathered a bunch of educators who know a lot about this technology. Okay. Now maybe, maybe there's an ed tech specialist, actually an AI expert. There aren't probably actually that many of those, but maybe, maybe there are some, right. That, that can shine a different light on this, but know a lot about it and could contribute to the discussion and, and spread a lot of diverse ideas. And I think that's important to the discussion too. Yes. Yeah, so as you're, you're talking through that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I think that that's what I like about this is just thinking through all the different angles in this case of generative AI. Um, and like you said, it's, it's important to have all these voices and all this, this is the beauty of it right now is that it has piqued the interest of everybody in some shape or form. And now we're getting like this kind of plethora of a, you know, kind of, I don't want to say well-rounded, I don't think anything's ever perfectly well-rounded in, in society, but we're getting these angles of no matter what your job or career or mindset or age or what right. you're trying to do, you can find something of people trying to figure out what it means for them. And to me, that's the exciting thing that it allows us to continue to learn and, and rethink the applications. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the tale as old as time in education I don't necessarily want to get into like the whole thing on, on plagiarism because I think right. there's, there's bigger issues, but, you know, as you have had a ton of experience with debate and I think about K-12 education in general, you know, one of the things that that's pretty paramount throughout, no matter how a standard or whatever is written is, you know, that idea of argument of writing, speaking, listening, um, and all grade levels, there's some shape or form of that. And you know, how how are you approaching these tools like ChatGPT or BARD or Bing or whatever the, the meter of stuff that kind of rises and falls through as things advance? How are you thinking through that? How are you working with these tools with, with students in the sense of, you know, that academic research and the, you know, the integrity and... And those start start of things because I think there's a lot of stuff going on based on people that I work with and have conversations with. There's there's some that have not used it at all, and the fear is just grounded in the unknown. Um, and then there's others that have started to dabble in it, but maybe they don't quite. I don't want to say they don't have the skills, but there is a little bit of the way you communicate and and speak. Uh, I'm going to say speak into the machine. I know that's not exactly what it is, but how you articulate your prompts to get quality information, you know, there, there, there is some learning to that. Um, and so how are you or, or, you know, people in your field having conversations around that? Because I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest, there's a lot of barriers, but one of the initial ones for teachers to wrap their head around, like, oh my gosh, like, is are just cheating, and it's it's not that. I think I think that's what they're saying, but they're actually what they're what they're 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 their fear is something not that. It's it's something much more deeper in terms of like, boy, I've been I've been teaching this way or doing it this way, you know, all this time, and now maybe maybe I need I need to rethink my approach, and that's that's really scary too. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of there. There's uh, there's a lot there's a lot of there there, and I, I yeah, I'll, yeah, I yeah. remember to kind of kind of go through all of them. And I, I think the one thing I would start with, you know, in, in debate, 
we kind of already have an advantage of kind of maybe like kind of what kind of defines cheating or not. So like you think when I, you know, when I and most coaches teach debate, like when students go to their first tournament, they don't like write all their arguments from scratch, right? Like the coaches may write some arguments, like the de other debaters on their team, they help them and they kind of start with this kind of basically when they go to their first tournament, you're more focused on them learning how to debate, like the format, like going through the motions, like answering the questions, like, sure, you tell them to go read a little bit about the topic, but they're not building everything in most cases entirely on their own, right? So we're already starting in a world that now people are just entering where, hey, like somebody doesn't like do everything from scratch, okay? And that, and then as they debate, students just don't debate for a semester. Most students, you know, some, they, they debate and they quit. But a lot of students might debate four years of high school, four years of college, right? They they learn, right, how to do what we kind of think of as original research and make contributions, right, as they go, right? So mm -hmm. we're not, we don't start like kind of from the point of like originality, <laughs> that whatever that is, like you might in a class and kind yeah. of go the other way. And second of all, the, the just kind of the, the, the air of resources has has expanded a lot. So when I debated, you did start more with the originality. And then there were these little paper books you could buy that like had some quotes in it that different university debate teams uh, would sell. They you know, and you would you would kind of integrate these into their speeches. And then you would go to debate camp in the summer and people would share. Okay. And now, and now like all the information from all the debate camps across the United States, that's all shared online. Yeah. And then sometimes kids will share stuff in Reddits. And once you make an argument in debate, in most of the events, you put your quotes online. So kids are always synthesizing. And I think this word synthesis is becoming important. Actually, just uh, the person who produced our, our book art, Lori Mazur, I, I just met her on LinkedIn, but I realized she she lived uh, in New York City near where my office is. So we met up the other day and she is your company. It's like synth, synth I forget, but it's synth, synthetic synthesized something. And she told me that she came up with that name because in this, and she's, you know, works in art. We're now synthesizing things, right? So we're kind of in debate, starting from the idea of synthesizing, where you develop more of the skills. You say, well, okay, well, what's the point? If you help get ready speech and go to it, that's just the first step. You have to give a speech in a debate. All right. Then maybe you have to give a rebuttal. You have to respond to a rebuttal. You have to come up with questions in what we call the crossfire period or the questioning period. You have to be able to answer those questions. You have to synthesize the ideas at the end that produce an outcome. I could write a kid's speech from scratch. And after 30 years of experience, and if he couldn't do or she couldn't do all the other parts of the debate, they would lose. Right. Yeah. So it kind of it kind of really, in a way, kind of like kind of begs the question of like who wrote the first speech or like how it got written or anything like that. Whereas in the classroom. Right. There aren't, you know, maybe teacher will do debate like once a year or something. Right. It's more like the assignment is like produces paper, or produces speech. I even joke with kids. I said, could you imagine if school after you turn in your paper instead of just getting comments from the teacher, like they interrogated you and they said, well, these are the reasons I think you're wrong. And then you had to defend it. Right. So and, and that's where, you know, when I first started thinking, I thought, well, gee, as a model, that's in this era, this is something that debate can really offer to the educational community. And you start seeing that appear in certain ways. OK, well, maybe the, the kids could write a paper instead of the teacher giving an exam. The professor would call them in and like question the question the student right about about the paper to see what they learn. Right. Or there, there would be some other types of like rebuttal or maybe the other kids in the class would ask questions or maybe you would kind of use more debating. And there's other styles of case case methods, all those kind of things. Now we can start thinking about, well, well, can that be done by the computer too, right? Like, and some people are saying, yeah, yeah, you know, the more I've talked to some people used to debate who have PhDs and basically in artificial intelligence. And they're like, yeah, the computer could probably do a lot of that part of it too. <laughs> but, 
you know, in terms of where we are, in terms of the thinking, I think that, you know, I think there's a lot of reaction to the technology that's all based on exactly what's there, right? So somebody will say, oh, well, this chat GPT thing, it can't produce bibliography. Okay, well, like connected to the internet, then it can connect in multiple different ways, right? To the internet. Oh, it can't do math. All these people who hated it, they'd like trick it into getting the math answer wrong. Oh, okay. Well, now look, we have Wolfram map in there, right? So good luck beating that, okay? Yeah. Right? So the technology is going to advance. They can integrate Google Books or, you know, uh, JSTOR, LexisNexis. It, 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 they said they made agreement, you know, some of what it was trained off was also proprietary. So my guess is, you know, they, they know about all these companies. It's not rocket science. They probably trained on that data. And, you know, soon you'll be able to get a subscription that includes LexisNexis and the data that was trained on it. And you're going to get some highly quotes. So everyone's just reacting to the status quo. I even saw like in one of these, you know, higher ed groups, once they, they had the plug-in, professor was like, oh my God, it just changed my whole syllabus. And I'm like, you didn't really think that they're going to be able to like have this thing connect to the internet, right? Like you didn't think that like, you know, and everyone's saying, even the people who run turn it in, oh my God, they, you know, the, the new turn it in thing came out, the new plagiarism tool and yeah. people are posting. And I, I couldn't, I thought, well, gee, maybe I should have something to say about this. I'm so involved. I couldn't think of a single thing to say. I was like, who cares? Me There's either, another yeah. plagiarism detection tool. It has all the same problems with the first one. Okay, it has all the same problems. It's not really any better than anything else. Who really cares? Like the world's moving on, right? But even the turn it in, I saw I saw a quote early on when I was reading from the turn it in Asia director. He said, "Look, in two years, this is going to become indistinguishable from the from the human voice, right? If we all have our learning bot companions, they all get to know us. It's going to be able to write like us." The OpenAI CEO Sam Altman, when they came out with their thing, which I thought was funny, they're like, "Hey, by the way, teachers, can you just go dump all the content your students are producing?" into our system so we can also train on that data and then learn how to write like students. So, you know, <laughs> it, won't, it won't seem so roboto. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to like feed all our student papers right into there. Um, <laughs> so that, that kind of made me laugh. It's like, we already have these things, you know, yeah, yes, I forgot yeah. how I ended up down that, that rat hole. But the point, the point, I guess I was saying is like the technology is going to advance and we don't know exactly how it's going to advance, but we, we we know that probably in a year or two, if not sooner, it's going to be able to write like a student. So I, I, I my advice is to start thinking of like, what is education going to look like? What are your assignments going to look like? What are your assessments going to look like in that world? And, you know, some of the discussions we had in speech and debate, I mean, the kids are faster than the adults, right? So the kids are already using this. They're using this in different events. They're using things that adults, they don't really know what to do. They, you know, some people may be in charge of some rules. There aren't that many rules. There are some at certain events, like, oh, how are we going to apply this? They, they don't really know, right? There's this, there's an event called original oratory, where you're supposed to write an original oratory, right? And, you know, it's funny the way the rule's written. It says, like, without human assistance or something like that. I kind of <laughs> laugh. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, as long as it's Game not- on, yeah. even if they Even if they adjust the rule, what does originality mean? I kind of laughed. I said, wait, so somebody, it's a 10-minute speech. I said, really? You think a kid just sat there on a computer at a desk and just wrote this? They didn't ask their parents or their coach. No one, no one wrote in a sentence or suggested a change. They didn't get an idea, right? This whole concept of originality, it does come up, you know, in the online world in debate basically said, okay, well, you can research and do everything you, you, you want online. We can't really stop you in the debates, but you can't get coaching. Everyone kind of thought that that was like a little bit unfair. You shouldn't have a coach, right? And some kids got caught for, you know, their parents coaching them or their friend coaching them or whatever. I'm sure it happened more than the kids even got caught. But this, this introduces like a whole new level of complication, right? Because is a bot a coach? How do you really say like, well, what if you use Bing? 
<laughs> that's kind of a bot, right? Like, yeah. so you let kids use Bing or Google at the time. No, no one really used Bing last year, right? You let them use Google. So now you're going to let them use Bing. But what if the if you if you use the bot part, right, and you ask for a precise answer, did they like break the rule or like how how would this even be enforced? It's all and you know as these bots get more sophisticated, maybe get to know you as a debater. Um, it's going to open up a whole new thing. So I I think like anything else, people are just trying to get by and say, okay, well. Let's kind of see how this works or whatever, and we'll kind of adapt. But it's not clear. But the other thing, you know, some people are like, well, just don't let them you turn off the Internet. No, I can't get on the Internet. It's like, OK, let's let's pull out the stone tablets. OK, you know, let, let's let's kind of just go back in time. And, and, and that's a problem, too, because you can't you don't want to <clears throat> the kids live in the world. You know, Bill Gates recently called this the AI world. That's probably true. Right. And we need to train students to live in that world, not live in a different world. Now, I think there's. The other the other thing I kind of, you know, I've been thinking about more is this this debates become so much either or like let the students write all their papers with these bots or just like don't let them like turn off the Internet. Right. And that that's not really how it should be. Like I kind of imagine, you know, there's a speech event called Extent where the kids have to like they kind of read about current events topics beforehand. Then they get a specific question. They get 30 minutes to prepare. They can use online or offline resources. Right. And, and this thing like Bing Chat, I played around with it. It can basically write the speech. And it's going to be able to write it pretty well. Now, what I thought you could do is maybe, you know, you have multiple, like we call them rounds in a tournament. I thought, well, gee, in one in one tournament, you could have two rounds where maybe there is no Internet. You just got to go in the room with like what you know, what you read about beforehand and give a literal extent speech. The other two rounds, like you kind of have to use this. Yeah. Right. Like here it is. Go use like bank. Use every tool you can find. Anything you want and write the best possible speech you can using that thing. Then I think two things happen. One, the students see the difference. Two, the students, you, you get more buy-in, which, which you kind of need, right? In order, because, you, you, you know, you, 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 there's only so much you can do to stop, quote unquote, cheating in an online world. So you got to get some buy-in from the students, right? But they say, okay, well, for this, I'm, I'm, I'm being tested this way. I'm learning these skills, right? This is kind of comes from what I learned in advance and like how I think through. These things, they want me to learn how to use these tools. Right. And I'm going to see what the difference is. Right. And I even suggested that to a, a teacher who was de dealing with kind of a plagiarism crisis, like basically what we call plagiarism, not. But a third of the students she basically thought were using the tool to write a majority of their paper. Right. And you're trying to figure out like she wanted advice to like solve this. And I'm, I'm like she she had run the she ran literally. This is in the book. There's an interview with her. It's anonymous. But she runs every she's 140 students. She runs all their papers through one of the detectors. Then anyone who gets like basically a medium to a 50% or higher rating, she sends them to the other two detectors. Then she goes back and traces her, I said, traces her Google Doc history. Then of course there has to be like a process to like, are these kids gonna get in trouble? And I was just like, this is like, how can you do this? Is this like sustainable, right? No, it's not sustainable, right? There's no way, but I kind of then said like, well, gee, maybe tell them, like give them an assignment where they have to use it, give them an assignment where they don't try to get some buy-in or I posted on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago after this, like maybe create a men assignment. I want to teach you how to learn the tools. And the kids will be like, this is cool. So the first thing we're going to do is we're, you know, our, our first part of this assignment is you're going to, you need to print out some articles about a topic, highlight them, bring them to class. And you're going to sit there and you're going to make an outline on paper, like the way we used to. Then the second thing you're going to do, right, is build an outline on the computer and you're going to use like, I don't know, like Google, it, Bard doesn't work that well. So you can use Google, you know, whatever. You're going to use the Google thing. Then the third thing you're, you know, then you're going to write a paper based on that, right? Then the third thing you're going to do is use all these other tools. You have to use these tools. 
And you're going to write a paper that way. And then you can kind of see the difference. But this is a meta assignment, right? So it makes sense that you can't cheat on it. But, um, you know, so that's, and then how am I specifically doing it? A little bit at a time. Like I'll see us do, oh, well, why don't you, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this question? Oh, that's how that works. And I try to feed them like just like, the, you know, the students I know, they know I'm a little obsessed with this and I talk about it all the time, but I'll say like, <laughs> how, how, how do you do this? How do you do that? I was actually at a tournament with two of my students and their grandmother came to watch. So I was showing this to their grandmother and she was like, wow, the schools must really want the kids to learn how to use this. And I just, I didn't say anything. because She just thought it was amazing. You know, I was helping them kind of explain something, you know, they didn't understand. They were young. They're like 15 and the team made an argument about a patent. They didn't know what a, you know, what a, you know, what a patent is. So I said, well, you could have just, you just said, what is a patent? And they, even it was about the argument. It was like about how patents are like critical to innovations. And, you know, we debated. I said, well, ask it. Why, why are patents maybe, why, why might patents hinder innovation? And it came up with five pretty good reasons. I said, well, see, and they were just like, wow. You know what I mean? So I've kind of a little bit of a time getting them to use it. I mean, some kids are afraid of it because they're afraid that like they're going to get you get kicked out of school or something for using it. Right. Yeah. So there's yeah, a little true, bit of fear. True. I had there's a college student who uh, like kind of interns with us. He's like a thing. And I showed him in early January. I had a syllabus and I took his syllabus. and I kind of showed him like all what he could do with the syllabus. So but then, he was so excited. Right. And then like three weeks later, I, I asked him, I said, oh, how's it going? Have you used this in any of your classes? He wouldn't even talk to me about it. <laughs> he was like what i said come on i talked to you for like a half hour like you know he's obviously afraid to like have a conversation um so as if i was a double agent or something so you you gotta kind of you gotta walk even with teachers you know it's like okay well like you know i have this theory that uh i have this theory that if teachers learn how to use it and see how it benefits them then they won't be afraid of the students using it because they're going to understand what they're doing, right? So if you introduce it to you and say, hey, like, oh, watch it, it's going to write a lesson plan, okay? It's going to align it to state standards, okay? It's going to um, it's going to generate a quiz. Oh, yeah, like, help a quiz things a little off, but just like tweak it, right? It's going to generate a letter to parents. Oh, you want to see, you you have a student whose family, you know, they only speak Arabic. Well, here it is, just, just translate it. And then I think once they once they get comfortable with it, then they're not going to be afraid um they're not going to be afraid of their their students using it but that's just yeah. to kind of i don't know we kind of got we kind of rambled through a lot of topics here um but uh those are some of my thoughts on the broader um thing but i i think like i say you know i initially got you know initially it kind of really hit me because i thought okay i teach you kids how to find evidence find quotes and write speeches write rebuttals and this tool can do a lot of this so then it's like, okay, well, it can do a lot of this. So let's figure it out. Let's teach it out to kids. And then let's start conceptualizing what part, what, what, I tell, what I've been telling speech and debate coaches is, what do you want your students to learn in speech and debate and why? Okay. And for, you know, for all these years, okay, it's taught them how to organize ideas. It's taught them how to do research. All right. So let, let, let's make a list. Okay. Then say, okay, well, which of these skills, like they're not even going to be valuable in like two years. Okay, <laughs> learning how to find quotes, that's really a marketable skill. No, not not in two years. Right. So let's not worry about that part. Like, let's let's kind of think, let's focus a, a focus on these other areas. B, like what other new things do we want them to learn how to do? Right. Like, what does it mean? Like, persuasive. And I, I've been on this for a little bit. Right. Even since the pandemic, even before being persuasive in a physical environment is different than being persuasive in an online environment. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should have an online event. There's an event called storytelling. It's just like a speech event. It's a consolation event at the National Church. Like, okay, 
well, maybe one of the things should be like, you need to use one of these tools to write a story and present it. Right? You need you need to use this story. You, you need to do this with the tool. You need to generate some art. You need to generate yesterday, like I said, I generated a classroom in 30 seconds, right? So like you, you need to you need to generate some materials that go with this, right? You need you need to learn an extent how to do a speech using this technology because like, oh, you want to be like the White House spokesperson? What do you think the White House spokesperson sits there with their original ideas and just types up stuff on a Google Doc and stands up before the press? Or do you think they're using all these tools to figure out what everybody's talking about and like how to write, maximize it, right? So I think the the kind of the next level, and it's the same thing that's happening in education. How do we how do we use these technologies? How is this going to change what we do in speech and debate? And that's hard for a lot of people. I mean, someone pointed this out to me. They're like, "This is not really fair because you like thrive in instability." You thrive and change. And I, I kind of do that a little bit. Some people don't like change at all, right? Some people are like, like, hey, especially if I've got two years to go to my retirement, like you really want me to change all my lesson plans and my assessment? <laughs> Maybe I'd be in that same boat. But I kind of do thrive in a little bit of chaos. Um, so I'm just plugging in here. I thrive in a little bit of chaos. So uh, but there's that. But I think I think the other thing is if if schools don't change, Kids, kids, kids know what's up. Uh, kids really know what's going on, and I think part of it is the other theory I have is that where we kind of missed the boat a little bit is that people said kids don't really like to learn in Google Classroom and Zoom, and that's true. But then people thought, well, they all want to just come back to school. Well, no, they love they love learning in like social media and playing Roblox and building all these like cool little places. And when they were trapped at home. Different kids would chat for varying lengths of time, depending on where you lived in the United States. They spent all their time on the computer. Yeah. Right. And now they're kind of into these totally interactive, like immersive, whether, you know, whether that's VR, or just kind of more immersive in a mental sense environment. And they're really engaged in these. And then they come back to a classroom where there's 30 kids and a teacher teaching on a whiteboard with a PowerPoint and they fall asleep. And when I do have incidental conversations with teachers, even though I'm not teaching anymore, they tell me the same thing. They say, this, are your debaters like not engaged, right? Like, you know, are you? And I'm like, no, they're actually not as engaged as they used to be, right? And then they're like, yeah. And someone's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I teach like sex ed and I, I can't even get them to react to that content, <laughs> right? So they're like, these are teenagers, right? And then, you know, they're all sitting there kind of on their phones. And so there's this whole, there's this whole other meta issue. But I think kids, kids know what's up. I think kids probably think it's pretty funny that adults debate about banning books that they don't read anyhow. Um, so, you know, they they just kind of got everything going on in the computer. So I think there's a lot of meta issues that are kind of floating um, that started to float kind of before all this happened, but they're intertwined. Yeah. Uh, like with what we're doing. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, as it all gets intertwined, you know, I think the rate of acceleration and of generative AI and all these tools and every day there's something new, I think just continues to bring to light how much a lot of these things that maybe we've treated as separate isolated issues really yeah. are are very interwoven and not as simple as what we think and i think there's there's all these different disruptions from the covid to now ai and everything else in between that we're, we're really starting to figure out boy, what, what are we going to do? And maybe we have to, uh, you know, swallow our pride a little bit and say what we were doing maybe wasn't the best. And, you know, as you were talking through all your ideas, I think that that kept 
in my brain resonating or coming to light was, you know, just, I think as these tools come into the fold, it allows us, I think, in kind of an ironic way to build more relationships in, in human react interactions, uh, which I think will help with that engagement. It'll help with, with creating some of these experiences where kids do want to be engaged because we can now, I don't want to call it the mundane, but get through some of the stuff that used to take so much time in the classroom. Where now we can, we can get through that stuff maybe quicker and access materials and research and stuff to be able, like you said, like I, I think about debate, but it's really, even if we're not teaching debate, yeah. how are we having those conversations with kids? Talk to me about your work. What is going on? What is the process? Not, you know, more focused on the process than, than the product. And if you're using that stuff, you know, great. So what? Maybe you have different policies. I'm not here to say what the policy should be, but the kids should be able to defend the work. You know, whether that's in a debate structure or I did some sort of experiment or I, I tried to solve a problem in this class, yeah. like I should be able to articulate my ideas and whether a, a, a bot or some tool help construct it, I still need to be able to speak, defend it. And that's where that right. element is. Or that I, I think about the anonymous story you told there about going through all the different layers of looking for plagiarism. Like, how about taking all that time and putting that into talking with kids? Maybe you wouldn't even have to worry about a plagiarism stuff because there might be a whole different level of, of respect between you because they want to do good work for you because they know you care versus a, a gotcha. And I don't know the person and maybe they have. Well, that. no. And, and you like, know, that's one thing she said, honestly, she said, this is hurting my relationship with my students. Yeah. Right. And if the, mm -hmm. one of the first things I wrote, even on LinkedIn, when I, I kind of, the other thing that got me into this was I wasn't, I was, I was kind of interested playing around when they banned this stuff. I kind of got like a little upset. And one of the <laughs> things I wrote about was that this is really going to hurt students' relationships with their teachers, right? It, it's, you know, all day, maybe you suspected somebody, an incidental kid here and there, you you found the original source, but you just turn it in or you just use the internet. You dealt with the students. Now it's like, well, gee, I need to put every paper in, right? And, yeah. you know, these things, these systems have a lot of false positives, right? So it's like, Kids are getting accused. You know, I see some of these Some kid will be like, my professor, he sent me an email accusing me of cheating. He's like, I swear to God, I did not cheat. But I can tell the email was written by the damn chappy GPT that he sent me, right? <laughs> so it's it's causing problems, right? And I think teachers are recognizing that, but they don't really know what to do, right? Like these yeah. schools are, you know, and like, you know, in fact, the schools can only react so quickly too. And the schools got to think of these processes like okay well normally if you change like a policy on student like acceptable use policy you wouldn't do it in like two weeks right <laughs> you'd have a process you'd go through it but all this stuff's happened in two weeks all these things i think some people honestly thought well gee if we just ban this on our school networks and computers then you know okay kids can probably still use it but they won't use it that much and it'll be hard and it'll kind of go away it's like well, immediately I was like, well, you could also just go to perplexity.ai and you could use the same, you yeah. could use the same tool. And really pretty much all kids have a phone or a computer. The only, the only students, like, and this is kind of sad, who the band really, really affected are the students, the most of the most limited means who have access to like no other device or way to get on the internet. That's yeah. really effectively the only students that the ban applied to. And now, you know, it's just like anything. It's like, well, you didn't really tell, you didn't really think when um, you banned this thing that all the kids didn't want to know what it is. How could help them do their score? Right. So it's like you, you made this ban really with the best of intentions. But basically, in debate, we call it salt, no, no, no solvency. It doesn't really ban anyone from using that and massively increase their interest. Um, you know, tell a whole bunch of kids, like, no, you're not allowed to use this. 
Okay, we'll see what happens, we'll right? See what happens. That's um, right. So it kind of probably accelerated since we ever. That's the new word. Of, you know, maybe that'll make word of the year, right? Acceleration. Um, <laughs> it probably accelerated um, the adoption of of the technology. Um, you know, by the students. So I think you know, there's different ways. You know, there's there's like management. Every, all teachers are dealing with managing it. I would say all everyone's dealing with managing. Every every teacher has a student using it, right? So it's like you you got to manage this. Other people want to integrate it. Everybody doesn't want to integrate it. That that's a choice, but everybody has to manage it. Everybody has to deal with it. Um, and like I say, that was the first realization that hit me. This is going to change. Even though I don't do anything ever else in my life in speech and debate, and I tried to do some different things because I've done this for a while, right? And I really enjoy still working with the kids, but I can't only do that. I've run tournaments, I've helped develop programs. So in a way, this was kind of another project to kind of keep me keep me alive a little bit. But um, I think that, you know, I realized this is going to affect every everybody. I think some people didn't. Some people thought, well, okay, they'll ban this or, you know, it'll go away. Like it was a fad. It's a fad, right? Oh, 100 people, 100 people using it. It's no longer a fad. All right. And that's just ChatGPT. That doesn't mean they say that has 100 million active users. That doesn't count that people have like, you know, integrated the APIs into like other things that people are using, like what are the million plus people on Bing that people have kind of figured out perplexity, like people are using like all these other tools right now. It's like it's in your Google Docs and like it's, it, right? it's yeah. in Grammarly, yeah. right? So pretty much everybody's using it, whether we say they're using ChatGPT or not, like it's kind of almost hard not to use it. Right. Uh, so the cat's kind of out of the bag, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, was, we think through that too. I mean, the ban is only a, I guess you could call it a temporary band-aid. I'm not sure it's even a band-aid, but it's 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 not going to stop the the gravy train from moving as it's you're finding AI now woven into everything. So I I was working with some teachers and it's like well do you use canva oh i love canva well it's in there do you like, <laughs> right. do you like quizlet oh yeah i have kids use quizlet well it's in there like and so then the idea of like i mean it's not, just let's not be so, like, laugh like, so hard yeah Dude, i don't like, know if you saw the college board policy it says like you cannot use ai in any way shape or form it's like okay we'll just like crawl into your bed yeah, right? yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> i mean but that that's part of the frustration it was like this clearly written by people who are just angry who don't really know anything about like what they're writing about. Right. You, well, you know back, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And well, then I think to... like ID, they're like, oh, you can cite it as a source, which is actually like a pretty strong, like there aren't too many people who think that. So it's like, it's like, I don't know where they're just like, Hey, Hey, college board. Like, you know, we're just, we're just going to do that. We're going to do the polar opposite. Right. So there's all these kind of human factors that like affect like how decisions are going to be made and stuff. But I, I do really wish people would just, I, you don't need to be like, I, I don't, I'm not a computer scientist. Like I, I don't, this guy just kind of read the basic stuff about how it worked. And then I, I talked to people who like, you know, they're, they're experts in the field and, you know, they have, I said, Hey, this is how I think it worked. And they're like, yeah, you're right. And I don't really know. I I got a book I'm going to read. So I want to read more about like neural networks and stuff, but I, I don't really think you need to understand all that. Like, you know, to, re to really talk about this. I mean, I kind of feel like I do a little bit because somebody will be like, well, who are you? you know, you don't have an ed tech degree. So like, I'm not going to listen to you, but then if I can answer their questions and then they're okay, they'll be like, all right, you, you have something to say. So, <laughs> the, the, you know, the whole idea of this is that not just this, the world in general is that now you can learn stuff. Yes. Right. You, you can read stuff. You can follow people. You, you can learn things. Like I'm sure all the people, they could also learn how to like coach debate. I know a lot of people didn't know anything about debate. They learned how to do it. Right. So it's like, I'm just kind of some learning some things. And I do feel fortunate that I think a lot of the stuff 
a lot of the concepts from my field are now like becoming even more relevant. Like they started to become relevant even over the last 10 years. You know, you saw the like college board shift the, you know, the focus the SAT to more like argumentation, evidence-based, you know, it's actually the, uh, uh, the name's escaping me at the moment, but the, the guy ran the college board, he was, he was a, a, an incredible debater in high school. He debated for Stuyvesant, he finished second in one of the national championships. But, you know, so it's interesting how that, um, that all started creeping in. So we, we've had this more, right? Like, and it made sense, right? Like, well, once knowledge got more distributed, even through the internet, then it became, well, what, what is right and what is wrong? And it's actually what is right and what is wrong in some circumstances is about what evidence you can muster for it and how you can convince people, right? So we already started seeing that creep in. Hmm. It really exploded with social media because now anybody could say, you didn't even have to know how to publish a web page, right? Okay, yeah. anybody could say anything. So th that dialogue expanded, right? Like, okay, prove it, substantiate it, right? You, you can't just say stuff, which was probably different than the old days when they probably just taught you something in the textbook, right? So th that it, this is not like a, it's kind of radical, but it's kind of not. Like norms and ideas like change like somewhat slowly, right? Like, and they react to things. And now this is really, now anyone can just generate <laughs> any anything from nothing right and we right. got to think about what all this means you know i kind of joke too because it's a people are like oh well you can just generate a paper and you know publish it i laughed i said well there's, you know there's like 160 million academic papers and i'm like how many of these get read i'm like oh this summer i'm like i'm gonna ask it to write me a paper i want to read you know yeah, there you go there you go but, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but uh you know it's, but this is just crack the door open like um it's kind of cracked the door open a lot farther so you know, it, it's going to introduce um, a lot, a lot more questions. But th no, those I, are kind of those are some of my thoughts about like debate, like how they apply to, you know, or, and could apply even more to the education space. Like I just said, they started to apply a little bit more. You know, I found students who are like, you know, when I teach about debate, they be like, oh well, they, you know, we learned that in eighth grade. That you know, it's, we call that a topic sentence, right? Right. <laughs> right. When they just kind of had slightly different words, it kind of had crept into like. Uh, you know, they, they became popular in the in the books that, you know, the textbooks that, you know, got bought, right, that that people wrote. And okay, in debate, we call these a little bit different things, but it's the same idea, and, right? They would process it through that lens. So this these ideas already started kind of occurring in education. It's just now I think they're like, and that now they're really like full score. People are starting to question everything. Like people are already questioning textbooks. Well, now you can just generate your own textbook. That's right. That's right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like this is... Right. People are starting to question books. OK, now we're going to start in debates about like what's in these models. Right. Like, you know, it's very it's very I guess I just also find it very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's there's a lot there. And I think that the beauty of it is, is it gives us an opportunity to continue to learn. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to kind of rethink some of our what we've been doing or our our practices, whether we we like the idea of change or not, I think it's given us all an opportunity to kind of reset a little bit and go, you know, what are the things we want to hold tight to? What are the things we do? Maybe we should consider letting go or revamping. And, um, you know, I think there's a prime opportunity, even though there are lots of obstacles and challenges and stuff that, that, that come along with it. And I think, you know, as we wrap up here to be respectful of, of, of your time, you know, you, you brought a lot of that stuff to light that I think gives us all some some really great things to to consider through that lens of debate through the lens of yes. your your thought process that i think whether we're an educator administrator right. 
family, parent, doesn't matter our role, you know, just I think the day-to-day functioning of what it means to be human and how to hold conversation and, and how to have ideas and how do we work through that, you know, these tools are are here to help us navigate those this this next realm you know for the good bad and 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 the indifferent so i really appreciate you taking some time here to jump on the show today thanks and, i appreciate the opportunity you know, know to keep getting the message out whether through the yeah. book or through the podcast or my random you know linkedin uh you know i do feel linkedin's a great community to have the discussions in you know it uh, is it is yeah there are yeah. some some wonderful wonderful conversations that are are being had over there on that platform and so I will put a link in the show notes to your LinkedIn profile. Thank you. I'll put a link in there to um, the book that you're working on. That's, that's out. Uh, the yeah. digital version is out of time this recording. And I know print yeah. is, is is soon to happen. Um, is there anywhere, anything else that you would want people to to check out to learn more about your work if, if, if they're interested? Or are those? Are I think the most, things? you know, two things. Like one is the, uh, you know, we have, you know, LinkedIn, like you said, I'm starting a newsletter. I don't really know how that's going to play out yet. Because starting, uh, I, I posted just like I, I posted as a post on uh, LinkedIn, but I'm kind of working with a couple of lesser uh, groups to kind of see the best way to do that. I think that's important. And then I think you know we can continue to offer uh, some webinars. I have a webinar coming up, a free webinar with the one of the authors of the book, and then we do something of like that. I'm thinking offering some courses over the summer for. Uh, for high school students going into college because high mm. school students barely use this except kind of quote unquote illegally. Whereas right. in college, in college it was integrated into a lot of classes and professors even requiring it. So we're trying to, uh, trying to catch people up. Um, so I don't know, it's just a lot of ideas. I just enjoy the conversations and the dialogue. So, but I would say primarily the LinkedIn and the book and then uh, hopefully the newsletter. Perfect. Well, I appreciate that. We'll get that in the show notes and I appreciate you joining on the show and uh Good luck in your learning journey and always glad to uh, follow all your thoughts and ideas that you're, you're sharing the network and on LinkedIn. So I appreciate your, your contribution for us to uh, be thinking about things in, in, in new ways. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, I enjoy uh, following your thoughts and ideas as well. So that's how, that's how we get new thoughts. We don't all, you know, I might've had a thought that maybe included some of your thoughts somewhere. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I don't yeah. really think I have any ori- completely original thoughts. <laughs> certainly not everything I posted hasn't been entirely original. Right. So, right um, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. And we'll be in touch. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, for sure. You. Thank you. Bye. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.